You're tuned into 9 to 5 Work Rebels with your host, Ebony Gale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Gems Income Series Special, brought to you by 9 to 5 Work Rebels podcast in association with Hanson Search, the award winning international exec search consultancy firm. Now, I am Ebony Gale, your host for today. And today I'm super excited to be speaking with Jessica Hope, who is the founder of Wimbart PR, which is an independent PR agency specializing in Africa and emerging markets. Jessica, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Ebony, thank you very much for having me. You are most welcome. So just to give you a bit of an idea about this podcast, we are here to give you your flowers. People of colour work in industry doing great things like yourself. So a kudos to you and giving you your flowers to say well done for carving out a wonderful career in this industry. But also to obviously delve into your experience and your lived experience of working in the industry as well. So a big thank you again. So to start off with, I'd like you to tell us about yourself and what exactly you do. Okay, uh, thank you very much. And um, so um, I have a PR company called Wimba and we specialize in the African tech space. The company has been going since uh, probably as a company for about just under seven years. I actually launched the company when I was, well, actually, when I, I launched as a freelancer when I was seven months pregnant, eight months oh, pregnant. Wow. And I thought, hey, why don't I start my own business? Um, <laughs> before that, I was global head of communications at Iroco, which is a Nollywood platform. And okay. I spent the last three and a half years uh, basically traveling, you know, uh, across Africa, spent a lot of time in New York kind of working with kind of the entertainment space, but also the tech space, building out a network and kind of carving quite an interesting niche, actually, in terms of like working with the first like big company to raise like really serious international investment, um, big tech company that raised international investment in Africa. Uh, and the the CEO and the founder was actually a friend of mine from university. And he, um, he suggested that I uh, set up my own PR company. And I was like, wow, are you firing me? Um, <laughs> He was like, no, it's not like I want you to leave, but you'll reach a glass ceiling at Morocco. And also um, there is a massive market, you know, lots of people were asking him to subcontract me to do their work. So he actually saw the business. He saw the business model before I did. So I left, I left, uh, I left Morocco. And then Morocco was my first client, started as a freelancer, uh, got another client, another client, and then it grew from there. And I think since then, uh, we've, I've probably worked with over a hundred different startups and scale uh, and growth companies in that time as well. So it's been Amazing. busy. Yeah, definitely busy. And I do like the startup space. I can, I can't lie. I think it's really interesting. Exciting. And not a nice way for you to get in there. I mean, your own client is saying, well, look, set up your own stuff and I've got business to send your way essentially. So that's a great way to start. Brilliant. <laughs> I think know. it was uh, an easy, an easy way and probably a lazy way to start a business as well, actually, when you've got, you know, an, an entrepreneur kind of pushing you in that, that direction as well. Mm, brilliant, and he was though. basically wanting me to like formalize what I was already doing already in terms of yeah. helping others out and knew the, knew the startup space really well. So I was so lucky that, you know, he was like my number one kind of ally. And yeah, amazing. Really I love that. I think that's such a lovely story. And you don't hear things like that very often. Usually, you know, you're working hard to try and stay it up. You've got someone who's like, hey, go and do it. And I love that you went and did it because you could have been like, oh, no, it's not for me. It's just too much. It could have scared you. But you embraced it. So well done to you. So have you always wanted to work in communications? Industry. Not always. Um, like a lot of PR people, I started off wanting to be a journalist. Um, I, I straight after I left university, I had done work experience. Uh, a lot of uh, magazines at uni 
Uh, and then I did my work experience at the BBC in Manchester as well. So I had really wanted to be a journalist. Uh, and I actually worked on a, ma- a couple of magazines, like lifestyle magazines, okay. uh, straight after uni as well. But it didn't really work out that well. Needed to pay the mortgage on my flat. Yeah. So kind of randomly fell into PR, did a bit of work experience, applied for a job. Um, and then interestingly, it, the PR agency I was working at, um, quite early on when I was an account executive, I'd also applied to work for sort of a B2B publishing company. And even though that was like my what I wanted to do, I had yeah. always wanted to be a writer. Yeah. The PR kind, company kind of persuaded me to stay when I told them I'd been offered another job uh, at a publishing house. And it's funny because I think that's kind of like, that's really what set me on the PR journey. Yeah, absolutely. It then, yeah. Um, rather than kind of go down the publishing route, which is funnily enough what I'd always wanted to do. But yeah, there were so many bits about PR that I enjoyed. I enjoyed yeah. the writing. I kind of enjoyed the selling in. I liked the research. There's a lot of crossover between the two. So yeah, yeah I guess from my early 20s, I, I knew that this was going to be what I, what I was going to sort of stay in. Oh, cool. Well, that's interesting. So you kind of fell into it and thought, okay, I'm, I'm happy here. I'm liking this. So it yeah. didn't, also from that perspective, you wasn't necessarily, because the question is what attracted you to the industry. So your attraction okay. was really the writing, the journalistic side, was it? Would that be it? Yeah. I think the, the writing and I think um, the people, PR people tend to be quite extrovert. A lot of them are. Uh, I had like amazing team. I really liked my boss at the time. I just like the kind of personalities as well. Yeah. Uh, I think PR actually attracts some quite interesting people. Yeah. So yeah, I think there was it, there was a mix of things that kind of attracted me and like forced me to stay in this space. Oh, brilliant. Lovely. I love that. Okay. Moving slightly into a bit of your lived experiences. So one of the questions I always ask my guests is, um, when did you become aware of your ethnicity? Now, for others, this may sound like a strange question, but it's really not. It's, you know, we know we're born in the skin we're in. You know, I know that I come from a black family. I have brown skin. Right, great. Right, But going to school, secondary school, as an 11-year-old, uh, being the first year going to secondary school, I remember hearing these rumours about these racist white boys that would be targeting any black or brown person called Chelsea Smilers, and then they would, you know, carve the smile in your face with, um, you know, with a blade and stuff like that. So really horrific. I remember hearing that going to secondary school and that really made me become quite aware of the fact that I am different. Obviously, I always knew it, but in the kind of outside world, so to speak. What was, did you have any kind of experiences that you can share with us? I wouldn't say as, as extreme or probably Good. traumatic as that. Um, as you can say, I'm like, I'm really light skinned uh, because I'm, you know, mixed race, um, white Guyanese. Yeah. So I don't think that there wouldn't have been anything like that that would have sort of really marked it out. But when my parents divorced when I was four, my mother moved back to Devon. So I actually spent most of my time in Devon, okay. which is like super white. Yeah. Um, uh, and I remember yeah. when my dad came to visit, uh, especially my secondary school, actually, it was quite a shock to the people that my dad was black. Okay. Okay. Because there was like in the school of two and a half thousand people, there was maybe like three black kids. Right. Um, in fact, um, one of the women, um, black women in my school, she now is like a DJ on Radio 6, which is oh, amazing. amazing. Um, love that uh but yeah so I wasn't ever kind of um I was I was personally quite aware of it because I spent so much time in Devon where there was no real opportunity to embrace any kind of like part of my culture and then the rest of the year like the holidays I would come and um be in like Streatham and Brixton uh and then I was like very aware that I was very aware yeah, I was the the light skinned member of my family as well. So I right. would go and spend time with like my Guyanese cousins or my Guyanese aunties, and they would have a party, and I would be like the lightest person, lighter skinned person there yeah. by by a lot. But they yeah. didn't care. No one ever made a deal of it as well. Yeah. Um. 
So I think that I was kind of aware of my ethnicity. Um, my dad was also um, a really um, quite a well-known um, policeman. Um, okay. And he actually had set up the Black Police Association in the Met. Oh, uh, wow. And years before that, uh, years before that, he'd actually written a dissertation about institutional, institutional racism in the police force. Um, which is funny, he wrote the dissertation in 1986 and they're still talking about wow. institutional racism to this police now. Day. But yeah. I, to this day. Um, and he uh, had kind of pioneered um, black policing. He'd been a mentor to lots of black police officers. He was one of the, I think he was, um, him and his friend were like number 11 and 12 black police officers in the police ever. Wow. So I was really aware of my ethnicity through a lot of my dad's work and his yeah. network and his people as well. And I think funnily enough, I was like, we were always surrounded by like successful and elite black people. Okay. And I like, I love that. For, I love that for me now as well. Yeah. It's not like a necessarily an underdog story. It's yeah. very much like, now we just knew loads of amazing, talented, interesting, wonderful. Um, interesting like black people who were excelling in all walks of life as well. So I think, again, like mostly a positive experience, but I also think that to be honest, because I am so light skinned, a lot of people would not assume that I um, have any like, um, uh, that I'm, I'm black. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. All mixed race, Yeah, I hear that. Interesting though, really interesting. So I suppose going on on that, because of the fact that you are lighter, it's gonna be interesting for this next question, which is, have you ever felt like your race or ethnicity has held you back in your career? No, not to my knowledge. Okay. Um, yeah, not to my knowledge at all. Uh, so I don't think that, you know, it would be odd for me to be the recipient of any like overt racism. Yeah. Um, I have been because people just wouldn't assume and they wouldn't say anything as well. And I'm like, I'm quite a shouty kind of person as well. So I would like shout back. So people probably wouldn't say or do anything. Wouldn't say anything. And, <laughs> uh, and interestingly, I have since... What year are we in now? Probably since 2010, 2011, maybe 12. I've worked in the predominantly black environments as well. Yeah. So yeah. for the last 10 or 11 years, I've worked in predominantly black environments. So you wouldn't be dealing with that anyway. Cool. I mean, well, it's, like a, it's like an opposite. It's in an it's opposite, opposite bubble, side right? for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Opposite. Um, definitely. So opposite it's, a, it's a different, it's a, it's a different makeup than other people um and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing actually because then you all of a sudden you kind of forget that there are other kind of issues going on but like my me my team and I we've been like insulated in like a hyper like multicultural work environments for so long now yeah. uh, that for me I consider it the norm yeah. um which is so a wonderful yeah. thing it's wonderful Especially talking to everyone that I've interviewed, you know, it's the first I'm hearing this type of response which is amazing because you are working literally in war with, with people who are of color for the most part so you're not necessarily going to have that issue, which is great. Wonderful. Because my next question was more about, as you know, have you experienced or witnessed racism in the workplace? And if so, how was it handled? I think in some respects, in some ways, I think especially in PR, it's quite odd. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's... I've managed to remove myself, I think, from any specific environments that I would be the recipient of it or have right. received it as well. Yeah. Um, and it's more like what, what we're doing at Wimba is we're kind of creating a safe space where people kind of can come and 
you know, you're not just the black person who works in PR. You can be the Ghanaian, you can be the Jamaican, you can be the Guyanese, you can be the Kenyan, you can be yeah. South African, you know, and you kind of express and enjoy your culture. And, you know, you're not that you're not the token black person, right? Yeah. You are literally your ethnicity and you can live it, breathe it, sleep it, do whatever. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, keeping an open mind to other people. So even funnily enough, this week, um, we have um, a woman that works for us and she just she started like three months ago and she's Indian and she's like um, organizing a Diwali um, cool. like food fest yeah. next week as well. So it's very inclusive very and open inclusive. and there to, you know, there to celebrate and there to like, we all want to learn about, you know, new members of the team's cultures as well yeah. in a really unforced way. Yeah. Um, if she doesn't want to, if she doesn't want to go and do like organize a Diwali thing in the t- the office, she doesn't have to, doesn't but have she wants to. to, and she's kind of gathered yeah. momentum as well. So Brilliant. I don't think um, I've been in this environment for so long. I find it quite surprising where we hear other stories. Um, yeah, not surprising actually. Um, so here's one of the things. Someone on my team, you know, when all the the Black Lives Matters um, yeah activity was like kicking off a couple of years ago, and we had um. A lot of PR agencies were like really like doing a lot of social media yeah. activity, but we lot know that there are a lot of squares, a lot of black squares, black square, and yeah. they're the culprits for a lot of pain and anguish and micro like microaggressions for a lot of like black or um, Asian or ethnic minority mm-hmm. um, people in the PR space. So as a team, we kind of had to have a think about how do we respond. Like we can't say we're going to work with more. Uh, we're going to try and hire more black people because we already you already do right we yeah. do that. we're not going to necessarily look for more uh, black vendors for example because we try where possible to like bring on board black vendors as well mm-hmm. and then someone on my team kind of said that she'd been reading some of the she was in some other whatsapp groups and she was hearing some of the stories from other people in the sector yeah. and she, she was like wow they're faced with racism all day every day mm-hmm. and like people would say things about the food that they brought into the office or make yeah. funny comments about their hair or their like, how they how they speak and things like yeah. that and she said that she almost had um what was the word like survivor's guilt almost because she was like we've managed you to remove have all of this yeah yeah and she that's amazing for the people i don't want guilty it is. I mean, it's, the fact is, is that you're creating a safe space for people. And I think that's amazing. And that's reflected in a, a story that you just shared. Because, yeah, there's a lot of people who are dealing with the complete opposite. So, but that's great. At least you, you, there is, you know, you're an example of a safe space where, you know, it's culturally inclusive and you've got happy people. So I think that's wonderful. You know, it's sad for everybody it, else that's going through it. But it does make a difference. Because actually highlighting those stories, the fact that the, that person shared that story in a WhatsApp group, creates awareness and hopefully she will hopefully take herself to an agency where she feels a bit more appreciated you know it's difficult yeah. difficult I think that's really important the, the, funnily enough interestingly because we've created the safe space the workplace isn't like a an environment where we've kind of detected racism but actually on a couple of occasions some of our clients um they will listen to me but yeah. they treat some of the black women on my team like it's it's been noticeably uh difficult and dismissive okay uh, and my team knows like i write prolific like dissertation-esque emails telling people what i think of them if i'm not happy <laughs> um, so we j- and we're really lucky we don't need to work with racists right yeah, so absolutely. if you have a problem if you have a problem with dealing with like senior black women at wimba you you can go elsewhere because yeah, it's only until two weeks ago we had our first like uh, man on our senior team right so Wimba is like not only just run by 
black women but senior black women as well yeah, so if you have yeah. a problem with them you have a problem with the whole company uh, and we're, we're fortunate that we don't have to take money off racists exactly and that's wonderful too I mean I love that you know you're in a position where you can do that and even if even if you're working your own like for me example I remember someone said to me when I first set up and I said I was Ebony Girl Communications they're like oh well you're not worried because your name you know you, you might work with people who are racist I'm like I don't want to work with racist people this is the point like if you see that my name's my name's Ebony it means black yes there's your warning sign if you're a racist yeah. please go the other way yeah. like just I'm keep happy moving yeah, don't be racist moving. elsewhere Exactly. There's other people to be racist with, just not me. It's fine, you know? <laughs> so I completely get where you're coming from in, in, you know, just forging ahead. I like that. So you basically haven't necessarily experienced it, which is great. And you're not witnessing it because you're in the right, you know, your environments are inclusive. So that's wonderful. Okay, so moving on. Was there ever a time that you wish you spoke up about something, although it doesn't sound like it because you just said you mentioned you write prolific emails. So it's about self-advocating. So do you feel like there's a time when you wish you spoke up about something or when you wish you kind of self-advocated? Maybe going back before you started Wimbar PR, maybe. No, I'm actually like known for being a fighter and like I wear my heart on the sleeve and I'll fight either for myself or members of my team. Love so it. nothing in particular springs to mind, but... Um, I'll always, if I, I, I really have a sense of like justice and what's right and what's wrong. Not in a naive way. I understand like how the world works and like not yeah. everything can be perfect and not everyone's going to be best friends all the time. But I think, um, yeah, I'll stand up and I'll fight and I'll shout if I have to. Uh, and I think that probably comes in a, probably from seeing what my dad did mm -hmm. in terms of like growing the Black Police Association. Yeah. Um, you know, and all the work that he did, all the advocacy that he did in the police for so many years, yeah. you know, one of the biggest barriers, you know, he had, um, he was criticized by the black community for joining the police. Yeah. He was, um, he had to battle like, you know, there was a lot of like um, black police officers who didn't really want there to be a black police association because they didn't want to cause trouble. They wanted to kind of like go under the radar. They didn't yeah. want to seem like troublemakers, yeah. which I understand as well. Like definitely like no critique at all, but yeah. he kind of, he you know kept fighting in a kind of like soft power kind of way and just you know made it an enabling environment um but also put himself front and center when he needed to when they needed a senior voice when they needed someone with a certain level of like gravitas to like pull this kind of group together he was that person as well and um so when i say i'm a shouty person it's not like i'm literally like screaming and venting all the time no, but if i'm not you. happy if i don't yeah. think something's right i will definitely say so absolutely um, and Nothing wrong with using your voice. The good thing about being, yeah, using my voice and using, I guess, a position of power in terms yeah. of it's my business. If like someone on my team's not comfortable, I'm not comfortable. Yeah, we'll make yeah. things happen. We'll change things. And as I say, we, I'm happy to take money off the table if it means we don't have to work with or you know anyone on my team has to work under situation or with people that they don't feel comfortable with. Yeah. That's so important. And I love that because you're showing that you care about the business, but you care about people. And I think that's so important and something that a lot of PRs, I believe, are missing. They just care about the profit, hence why people kind of just get left to it. So no, that's Yeah, good. I need to care about the profit a bit more. Otherwise, um, yeah, I'm going to dress like a teenager for the rest of my life. <laughs> okay, so I wanted to ask you about code switching. Now, I think this is interesting because I feel like, you know, people of colour tend to code switch sometimes in the workplace. Now, for your workplace, I would assume everyone kind of brings their authentic selves to work to, to a degree. So my question was around yeah. that. Do you feel like you can leave your authentic voice in the workplace? And I'm pretty sure you're going to say yes because of your the way your work is set up. 
Yeah, I feel like I'm com- like the complete opposite to all of your other guests. No, like, but I love it. That's like, what I want. He's worthy of what I'm saying. No, there's but nothing worthy of like... what you're saying. You're part of an <laughs> inclusive organisation. I'm like, I think about for myself, I'd be like, hey, I'm coming over there. <laughs> <laughs> there is a little bit of code switching, I think. Um, and I guess an example would be almost, again, like the reverse of everything else. Like, um, you know, we have lots of Nigerians who work at Wimbark because that's where a lot of our clients are based, like Nigerian clients as well. And we like, um, I guess as a feeling, everyone feels comfortable to be themselves. But like one day they're like three or four of them were speaking like Yoruba to each other. And we're like, nah, yeah. because it like all of a sudden yeah. leaves out other people who don't it speak does. Yoruba as well. But yeah. they felt comfortable doing it. But we had to remind them that it is an inclusive Workplace. company as well. Yeah, and they weren't doing it to it. They weren't, they weren't doing it to exclude anyone. It's no, just, just like there's three or four Yoruba speakers. Yeah. 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 So I, I get that. that. So they... I don't even know if that's code switching. It's more of a, but, you know, we'll, we'll have like, um, you know, we'll laugh about certain like funny nuances and different like cultures. And I think because we know it's a safe space, it yeah. is like, you know, you can laugh at your own culture, right? Yeah. There's, there's ways of like laughing at like certain like peculiarities about your, you know, and it's not it's l- laughing with other people as well. So there's a way that people can express themselves where it's like, no, it's not racist. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know. Jamaicans might do this. Yeah, it's or cultural like nuances Nigerians that we might, might have. You know. might yeah, um, absolutely. So I think um, I think that works really well. And the code switching as well is interesting because a lot of members of my team, like they can code switch even when speaking with clients. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of our clients in Nigeria, so they can, you know, they might like pepper their conversations with like a bit of pigeon, for example. Yeah. Or, you know, so... There is, but not in an enforced way. Okay. Um, okay. It's like people can feel comfortable to, to bring I guess, bring their own like linguistic flair uh, yeah. as long as they can make themselves um, known. But like, no one's under pressure to speak the Queen's English. I hear that. I but hear that. She was like half German anyway. So <laughs> exactly. Like, she's basically German. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, thanks for sharing that. That's really cool, actually. So, I wanted to ask you about when you first became aware of the colour bias in the industry? Have you always sort of known about that? I think so. Until I moved to London and started working at Arocco, I'd worked in um, PR agencies where I don't think I, I don't think I met my first black PR person until I came to London. Um, I worked at the Natural History Museum and actually she was uh, in internal comms, but we sat on the same floor and we like bonded on day one. Like we were just like, okay. We see you. We see, I see you. Yeah. Um, and we're still friends today. And that was like 15 years ago, maybe. Oh, that's and cool. that was the first black comms person I ever worked with. And that's then, cool. yeah. And then I, I, got, I kind of got involved with the BME PR pros. Uh, and I guess I sort of picked up on some of the, the more people I spoke to, I picked up on some issues. Yeah. Um, but again, because I was working at Rocco and I was working for what's essentially an African company, I wasn't faced with it every day. I was just yeah. like, it, so, and I didn't really actually start even engaging with UKPR until maybe, I don't know, like three or four years ago. Right. Maybe a bit more. Um, Cause it was just, again, in my little bubble, like all my clients are in Africa, you know, yeah. the team was still relatively small, but when we had to start, I guess, attracting UK, more UK talent as Wimbart was growing, mm-hmm. that's when we started engaging more with UKPR space. And right. it was very, very clear, you know, that this is like a very like hyper white market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So for me, I didn't see it also because I was working in my own little industries. So when I started getting into the networking, 
and coming to more of the PRE type events. That's when I started to notice it. And even joining Women in PR has uh, one of their committee members on the board, um, going to those events and just seeing a sea of white women. I was just like, this is really fascinating, like how white this industry is. So yeah, interesting, very interesting. So what's your thoughts on allyship? You know, what does it mean to you? Like, and do you have like an example of what a good ally is for you? I think allyship is people who understand uh, the cause and try and like find ways to support you and your company. Like I'm really lucky in the last two or three years, I've been introduced to a couple of like CEOs in the tech PR space and they have given their time to help me grow as a person and like they've scaled big PR agencies. So they're helping me, you know, sort my ideas with yeah. different, like, different ways of thinking. They are like personal allies to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes to uh the concept of allyship a bit because a lot of the people who shout about being allies, I don't think they are. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. At least you've got your own example um, of what allyship looks like to you. And you've got those who are helping you. So that's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, I've got, and, and there's a lot of allyship, even in the, you know, a couple of other people have mentored other members, people on my team as well. I think allyship is like genuine, like impactful, meaningful support as well. Yeah. Um, but I'm also a little conscious of people who literally are trying to paint themselves as like full time allies as well, which I find really weird. Yeah, um, yeah I get that. Uh, I get that. <laughs> uh, so I think. Yeah, I have I have thoughts on it. Some are my, maybe like slightly, I don't know, not controversial, but I've come across like some amazing people uh, and I'm fortunate and I think I have lots of allies and I think people on my team have some amazing allies as well, actually. So oh, shouldn't complain good. too hard. Well, uh, but I've also seen I've also seen examples of people acting as allies and kind of doing the exact opposite doing as well opposite. for their own personal gain. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's about weeding out those that are actually true allies and not just here just because it's the thing to do or seem to be doing I get you yeah completely okay so maybe more into kind of you I want to know sort of what motivates you and inspires you to keep going yeah uh good question I think paying the mortgage <laughs> that's like <laughs> that's um, important. no it's it's not just that like I actually love my business I love my team I love the work it's tiring um I think having a business and like there's 21 22 members of staff at the moment it's like all is very intense you yeah. have like 20 clients at any one time three or four project works plus new business so I find it quite a lot to juggle yeah. um but actually even sometimes when I say oh new business cool don't really feel like it two minutes in and I start hearing about someone else's business I'll get all excited and right. I speak really quickly and yeah. I get overexcited um because I'm interested in people I'm interested in business models I'm interested in stories uh and what we can do and connecting that so that motivates me. The people around me motivate me. Like my amazing, amazing team are like the biggest motivators, I would say as well. Uh, and I, I think that what we're building at Wimbart is unique and interesting as well. And I've only been the last kind of couple of years where I've been able to take a step back and go, oh, actually, no, this is quite cool what we're doing. Uh, and that's quite a big motivator for me to, like, to keep building and growing and scaling the business and, yeah. and pushing myself rather than, you know, the last few years I've had to sort of transition from being a PR person to a business owner and a CEO and like concentrate more on leadership and business building rather than, oh, can I get my client in, in Bloomberg? Uh, so that's that's what motivates me as well, like my own kind of like personal development. Okay, well, that's brilliant. I love that. That's really good. And so on your journey so far, what do you say you found the most challenging? 
scaling the business uh, and it's uh, working with people that you care about is quite hard because if someone leaves the company, that can be quite emotional yes. or if someone's going through a tough time, that can be emotional as well. Knowing when to be like, when are you the boss? When are you like uh, an empathetic, em empathetic boss as well? Like those are some of the things. I think juggling so many different, so many different bits of work. Uh, and as I alluded to in my last, in my last answer, juggling that kind of client work and making sure that the quality of work for clients is, is still high and amazing but also then focusing on building the infrastructure and building the business and you know Wimbart for ages was just essentially a bunch of like fabulous hustlers um which was great but then that only works until there's maybe like between six to ten of you and then all of a sudden you start having to have better processes yeah. better HR yeah. like some proper infrastructure and I found that challenging because I actually really liked doing the PR and the client work as well of course so yeah. I had to take a step back and so my personal challenge is now being able to make sure um, make sure I, I do both, um, but focus more on the leadership and, you know, put more, put even more trust. And I do already, but a lot of trust in the client teams to kind of keep teams. executing yeah, absolutely. Um, on their work. So I can cr create a more enabling environment for them to work and yes. that they they feel the growth and they feel Wimbut scaling as well. Absolutely. And that's, that is a task in itself. Absolutely a challenge in itself. And you seem to be handling it well. So kudos to you which is great and so putting on a hat as an employee because clearly obviously you know you run your own business but if you was so think about people that you hire for example what is it that you want from your employer you're an employer so you know what is it that you, you try to put out there for your employees I suppose in meshing the question together? um yeah I think uh there's like it's a lot of it is culture in terms of like come to work be yourself uh, and unlike sort of general PR culture, it's not, you know, the be, you have to be in the office until nine, 10 o'clock at night. It's not like that. We have a lot of families that work, you know, at Wimbart. So I want people to go home at half five or work flexible hours or do whatever. There yeah. isn't that culture of presenteeism and just being seen, you know, 10 hours a day by the boss. Nah. Yeah. Like I want people to like have good lives and be happy. Love so that's, that. that's an important, <laughs> that's Love really that. important for yeah. me. Um, I want people to be able to like see that there's a future in what we're doing as well. We've been really unfortunate that we've had like some recruiters kind of try and poach members of staff for other um, PR agencies recently. And they keep saying, oh, but you don't want to work in African tech. You want to work with international brands. Wow. My argument is there's 54 countries in Africa and there's plenty of international brands. But exactly. I think what I need to do now as a, as a business builder is kind of prove that. And so I want employees, like current and future employees, to see the momentum, to see where we are as a company and see the, the mega opportunities of growth at Wimbart as well. Absolutely. So it's you know, not just in terms of like the types of clients that we work with, but for them, I want, I want employees to see Wimbart as an employer where we foster personal growth, we promote from within. We've had people go from account exec all the way up to senior account manager. And so those are really important things that I want people to yeah. see that it's a small business, but you do have to, so you have to be quite agile. Yeah. There's a lot of hustle involved, but there's, there's structure and there's growth opportunities, yeah. um, but in an, in an enabling environment and not in a like toxic, shouty, 70 hours a week environment, 60 hours a week environment. I don't yeah. think that's like a long-term play for people as well. No. So that's, those are some of the main things that I think are really important as a, that I, as, as an employer. Brilliant. That's great. You just covered that off as well, because I was going to ask you about what makes a good working environment. And you kind of put that out, you know, somewhere where that you can actually help your your employees to kind of move up. And I think that's so important and grow within, you know, 
personal development is super important as well as your career trajectory. So it's so important that you're you're looking at both of those and making sure that you're offering that to your um, employees. Wonderful. Love it. So what does diversity, equity, inclusion look like for you? Because you've got a very diverse team. Um, I think it's just making sure that there's space for everybody. Um, and I think, you know, we, we do have like white people working at Wimba as well. And that's important. Um, yeah, I think different cultures, different races, you know, I think diversity, interestingly, in terms of like, we can think of like, like, uh, neurodiversity as well as something that we'll probably Absolutely. think about going forward as well. Yeah. Like, how can we support, um, neurodiverse candidates as well if should they, um, choose to apply for a role at Wimba as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, gender you know think about like gender mix and balance that we have at Wimbart as I mentioned we uh, recently were welcomed our first man onto, onto the senior team yeah. that felt like diversity um, but you know making sure that we have a, a gender balance I think we're still skewed uh, towards more women than men at Wimbart currently at the moment although funnily enough I think generally in the PR space it tends to be still more women in the space but men take seem to take up more leadership roles as well so again that's somewhere that Wimbark continues to go above and beyond when it comes to having like lots of senior um senior black women uh at the company the company brilliant brilliant okay so moving into your proudest moments I want you to tell us about one of your proudest moments, it can be work, it can be personal. And also, could you also uh, include a career highlight for us as well? Hmm. Tricky one. I'm still wondering whether or not career highlight is going to come. <laughs> um, maybe, I don't know if that's optimistic or pessimistic of me. I think I think there was a couple of times when we'd won quite big clients um, okay. at Wimbart. And there was one that we'd pursued for a really long time and kept up the relationship. And we'd worked with lots and lots of small clients, you know, early days when there was just three of us, we mostly did project work. Yeah. Uh, and then we pursued, um, we pursued this like really big African tech company. And they, they said, yes, they, they needed us to work on a three month project. And we've been working with them for five years, I think, since then. Um, so we were not only able to win that piece of work, but also maintain this like very, very long-term relationship as well. You know, that's so there's a, a proud of, moment. That's definitely proud. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And being able to maintain that relationship yeah, as well absolutely. and go on like that journey with them is 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 um is big. I think there's a couple of times each time when we've moved offices to for more space, that's felt like a big highlight as well. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I think once we hit sort of twenty people at Wimbar as well, that felt like a big milestone. I wouldn't say a highlight, but I was like, oh, okay, we've got twenty we're not a people. Tiny, tiny bunch yeah. of customers anymore. Uh, that's great so there's things like that weirdly enough when I got my job I worked at, I did a three-month stint at the Natural History Museum when I was younger I really loved that like I loved every single day of work I was so happy to get oh, that job so I'd, always nice. wanted to, I'd always wanted to work in museums and right. then I was like oh got a job uh, as a press press officer at like one of the best museums in the world so that felt like at the time felt like a massive career highlight and then it opened the door to other opportunities as well mm -hmm. then I went on to be head of press at the Jewish Museum after that um mm. after that stint came about as well so that you know there are I guess you have success means different things at different stages in your career as well um yeah those are some of the that's some the of the main ones, ones. well that's good I appreciate you sharing those with us I think that's nice to have of course 
and then so more about the industry so what do you what are your thoughts on how the industry will kind of evolve over the next few years because there's so much happening do you see DEI dropping off of the you know the totem pole because right now it's just at the, it's at the top and then it kind of you know come around in waves and you know AI is also creating differences and the, the, the way that the future of technology is kind of impacting what do you think will happen to the industry over the next few years Huh. I don't know, actually. I don't think I'm involved in UK PR enough to be able to sort of give any kind of sensible uh, sensible predictions. I can still see, I think the PR space is still going to grow because essentially when we see a reduction in media um, sort of journalists, so it's going to get even harder for to secure um, coverage for clients. That's if you're just yeah. talking, to, talking about day-to-day basic PR in terms of press oh, release, yeah. selling in stories, thought leadership. So you're going to need more PRs and more skilled PR, PRs to get coveted coverage. So that'll mm-hmm. be one thing. Um, but I think PRs are going to have to continue to evolve as well. So gone are the days where you can just kind of write a press release and then go out for a three-hour boozy lunch with a journalist. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the case of, you know, you need to think more strategically and PRs are going to be evolved even more than they are now. And I, I know they're already in terms of strategy, content yeah. creation understanding digital pr as well so yeah. it's, i see that i see that 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 that's going to be quite a big change going forward yeah um but i think funny enough the, the pr that wimbart does it's still kind of you know we're kind of working in emerging markets as well so it's it's slightly different and yeah. you no know, say for example for the, we have to be quite nimble because m- we contact most of our journalists on whatsapp so i think in the uk a lot of people would like love to hear like love to have like a journalist like mobile yeah, number and a, yeah, and a yeah. journalist is probably like no nah, I don't want to give out my number yeah like in Nigeria Ghana Togo Kenya wherever we work a lot of it is like whatsapping people that? back yeah. and forth back and forth as yeah. well so that's uh, I, I, I guess that will change a bit as well but the trouble is I know that the PR space as well is trying to uh, make strides in improving the mental health Uh of PRs because obviously it's a stressful job and actually I think all these pings all the time you know some you're contactable all the time I actually think is really bad for mental health as well because you're not really switching off um so I I I think that this kind of increased um access and connectivity in some ways is easier because you can kind of make things happen a lot quicker but then at the same time like what's the kind of um, in terms of yeah yeah what are the boundaries as well so for example, I say to my teams, you know, we work in PR, so sometimes there is a crisis, mm-hmm. but also we work with a lot of entrepreneurs who they don't switch off and that's fine yeah. for them. But if they're just sending random WhatsApps on Saturday morning at 11 o'clock in the morning, don't respond unless yeah. it's very, very urgent. Because yeah. the thing is, it's also then, then you're going to, you're kind of drawing yourself into a conversation for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And it's not the client's fault as well. If you respond once, they're like, okay, this person's tuned in, plugged in. So there's going to be back and forth. So yeah. we're trying to be quite intentional about our own boundaries as PRs yeah. because we are so access- accessible. Um, you know, so even when we start a new client, for example, we'll say, you know, of course we're happy to have a WhatsApp group with a client. Um, it will mostly be between, you know, the hours of like nine to six, Monday to Friday. Yeah, yeah. So you're setting the boundaries already. So that's good. That's really, really cool. But I suppose it must be hard for you because you're doing with the in the Africa emerging markets. So you've got different time zone differences as well. So are they coming through at different times or is it not that it's not the time difference is not bad so at the moment we're the same time as nigeria for example so there's only the maximum there's only one hour's difference okay um i think when the clocks go back 
you know, Kenya then fluctuates between two to three hours. So again, that's not too extreme, really. So mm. you might wake up, for example, and your Kenyan client sent you like four WhatsApps okay. because for them it's eight o'clock. In, no, for them it's uh, eight o'clock in the morning and it's six o'clock for you. But that's just because, right. you know, but you're not under pressure to be responding yeah. until you yeah, come absolutely. online. And most okay. of the people, most of the people we work with are also used to time zones as well. So they kind of get it. Okay, cool. Interesting. Oh, nice. So, um, Another question for you, which is about key lessons. So what would you say are the key lessons you've learned throughout your career so far? Wow. Um, I think hard work is really important. Um, I know like a lot of young people talk about burning out these days and they want uh, like a work-life balance. But I think in your early career, you've actually got to put in quite a lot of hard work and quite a lot of slog to actually get to a certain stage as well. So um i think you have to be quite committed and go above and beyond the early early days to kind of get ahead of the crowd not you know working 90 hours a week or anything like that but no i get you it, it, you know you're not going to be unless you're particularly talented in something like you can't be expecting to earn the big bucks if you literally do your nine to five and then you know you're 25 and you want to be earning 100 grand like that's yeah. quite difficult absolutely um, <laughs> so I, I think hard hard work goes a really long way as does mm-hmm. attention to detail is really important as well mm-hmm. um learning about boundaries in terms of when to be assertive uh, but also when to like you know respect other people's boundaries as well mm-hmm. um i think the power of network is something that is you, you almost can't monetize it so being present and being in the room is really important mm-hmm. and i think it's going to be difficult for a lot of people who work remotely all the time now because mm-hmm. i wonder how they make these kind of meaningful connections now obviously there's twitter um, you know, there's lots of social networks, yeah, there's lots, yeah. but there's there's also not there's also something about someone saying, "Oh, we met at an event a couple of years ago," yeah. or "I saw you at this," or "We spoke yeah. at this as well." Yeah, um, and Wimbar, Wimbar literally runs off not just vibes, um, although hopefully it's good vibes. Yeah. But Wimbar runs off network. Yeah, we don't do any proactive new business. It's like even now I'll get an email from someone. They're like, "Oh, we met in Cape Town four years ago. I'd right. love to talk about PR." Oh, right. do you remember that time we were in New York together or we met at this event in London? Right. Being present and, so you know, important. the power of the network is yeah. like, I have built Wimbar basically from that. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, that's so nice for you to share as well for our listeners. So for the young people, because we did touch on them slightly, what advice would you give the young people of colour in particular that are considering entering the industry? Yeah. You're saying young people like I'm not one of them, Ebony. <laughs> Well, you know, we're both young, okay? That's fine. Even younger younger people. Younger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think it's about a case of, again, finding your network and just getting into companies where you're going to learn a lot, but also keeping your eye out. If you're in a company that, you know, as a person of colour and you're not happy, don't stick it for too long because I think also what you're re- you'll start thinking that this is the norm and it doesn't have yeah. to be as well yeah. now I'm not saying that young people should job hop because even now sometimes if I look at someone's CV and it's like three months three months three months three months I'm thinking this is going to be problematic for me because I'm do- I don't want to hire someone just for three months like what's mm. what's the pattern here so I think yeah. it's important for you know young people to get in at the early stage uh, at an early stage of a company if you don't like everything, that's fine. Like no one likes all of their job all of the time. Mm. Uh, I don't even like my job all of the time and it's my company. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's about being realistic, but getting in early, like learning lots, getting a mentor, 
like being proactive as well in terms of your own company, like in terms of your own like learning as well. But, you know, if you think, you know, as a person of colour, actually this place is like mad racist, I hate it. Don't stay there for five years because you will just be worn down. Yeah, absolutely. So stay there as long as you have to get the experience that you need, like stand up for yourself if you need to be, if you need to just like, don't take any like any ridiculousness but then also keep your eye especially in the PR industry there's a lot of jobs at the moment like tons mm. of jobs so build your network you know get involved in some of the like um, black networking events and like there's so many kind of communities now yeah. um, they do in-person meets and then there's like whatsapp groups and then there's like the BME PR pros all these different networks as yeah. well and just build your network from that as well and keep an eye out for the next best thing but also don't always be thinking that there's always the next best thing and do too much job job hopping as well because I don't yeah. think that that's um because people also want to see consistency as well they do they do they do all right so thank you for that I'm moving slightly into mindset now so we're coming to our last few questions all right so how do you deal with the kind of internal mindset war in terms of how do you manage self-limiting beliefs not the easiest Everyone has mm. these, right? But it's just like yeah. everyone has different coping mechanisms. So give it over to you. I don't think uh I don't think I have imposter syndrome all the time, although I have been prone to it as well. Okay. Um so I think that I have to kind of get over myself as well. Uh other kind of for me, challenges that I've had that I've had to overcome is like a massive fear of public speaking. Okay. Um, I absolutely, I really, really can't stand being on a panel. I find it very difficult to even be interviewed, okay. doing webinars, well, do anything today, like that. Honey. Do it absolutely <laughs> smashing. <laughs> I, I really have to like psych myself up. Like yeah. I have to be very much focused in the mood to do it. But also I know that it's part of my job. I am the CEO, I'm the founder, I'm the leader. And so this is the next thing I have to go out and talk about my company, um, talk about the industry if I need to. So I guess it's like I try not to – I used to say no to stuff and now I say yes because I forced myself to do it. And I genuinely believe you get better uh, the more hard work you put in something and the practice as well. Like This sounds like old person speak, <laughs> but basically it is just practice uh, and refining your skill and refining and thinking about afterwards, what could I have done better? Should I have prepared more? Should I have said this? Should I have said that? Should I have spoken a little bit slower? That's always mm. my concern because I okay. speak really, really quickly as well. Yeah. So those, for me, those are the self-limiting things of not pushing myself forward. Um, or, I, or I chose not to, and now I have to at least say yes to stuff as well. Yeah. I still don't do, for example, my team wants us to do more proactive PR about Wimba, about the company. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're just, we're just going to focus on the work and let the work do work. Talk let the work itself. speak for itself. Yeah, It can't be like that forever. Sooner or later, no. I now then go, yeah. have to get, over my my own self limitations of yeah. preferring to be quite quiet and focusing on the work to being like no we're working in a busy marketplace we need to make sure that our name is front of mind mm. we need to build our profile for whatever reasons as well just like we would say you know in PR for a client that we're working with Absolutely. who's your target audience why yeah. do you need communications yeah exactly. so I think that's one of the self limitations that I used to let really um bother me mm -hmm. and now I just have to like just kind of get over it and be a bit better um okay, but I, there's nothing scientific about that it's more like you've just got to do it you've just got to yeah. do it yeah exactly that it is that it's about kind of trying to stop those faults in the track and trying to be like okay now 
you know, I try and provide evidence for myself as to why I'm not that imposter. You know, sometimes you have those moments you think, oh, I can't do that. Like speaking, I used to be afraid of speaking. Now I love speaking, like, sort of panels. I embrace and that And you're now. really good at it as well, well conversationally. <laughs> well, thank you. I try One of the things that, that I... One yeah. of the things that I struggle with, yeah. when I sort of watch webinars and people talk like theoretically and intellectually about PR and all those things, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I don't think I have those deep thoughts about PR and I'm certainly not structured to think and speak like that. I will just talk with my own experiences and yeah. everything else. And, that, and I'm getting, I, I get, then I think, well, is it that I don't know anything about PR? No, no, and I'm like, no, experience is important. Of delivery yeah. And I, and I just focus more on actually doing the work rather yeah. than weirdly thinking about it or Absolutely. making it hyper-intellectual. And there's space for different approaches as well. So that took me Absolutely. a while to kind of, again, get over myself and being like, I have other qualities that others don't and other people have qualities that I don't have as well. Exactly. I, I, know where my, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm less good at. And I know areas that I'll push myself that I want to be better in. And there's some things that I think, you know, at my big age, it's probably not going to happen for me now. <laughs> your big age. Excuse me, you're young. Remember, we're young. Young. You're forgetting that part. No. We said we're young earlier. Okay. <laughs> well, no, thank you for sharing that. I think that's important as well. In terms of mindset, it's difficult in terms of like taking yourself out of your comfort zone. But I do believe that life begins outside your comfort zone because you realize yeah. that actually half the things you're worried about, it's like, is that it? You know, like I remember doing one of my first speaking gigs and thinking, I'm going to speak to a load of people here. And then, you know, you're on the stage and it just felt really daunting. But at the same time, I was like, actually, it's got to be done. You know, wherever I start, you know, there's no point pissing my pants, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's going to happen. So essentially I had to embrace it and be like, it's going to happen. So therefore I'm going to take it in the approach where I'm going to make sure I'm fully prepared feel quite good about it and deliver it the best way that I can in my style. Whilst you've got yeah. those who are very theoretical or those who are, you know, come across from, come across in a certain way. I'm like, well, this is actually me. And and I love that saying your vibe attracts your tribe. So that sticks to my mind now. Oh, I so love I'm that. Like, yeah. So I'm just like, well, my vibe will attract the right tribe. So just be you, put yourself out there and do what you've got to do. So, but yeah, I was saying earlier also that, you know, the humans, we're going to forever have this issue of, limiting beliefs and mindsets and things like that it's just about how we approach it and just keep trying to move through it which you've done as you've said you know you're now looking at trying to push yourself into certain areas where you were like oh no forget about it completely which is brilliant brilliant so looking back on your journey would you do it all over again yeah I think so um sometimes I think oh, I wish I'd started the business a bit sooner but actually no I started when I was 31 still quite young yes um but you know it's you have to go through certain like ways of understanding business before you build your own business as well like I always think it's odd that people can do like an MBA at the age of like 21 or 22 and you're like Mm. but you have no business experience and so it's difficult to kind of relate all the theory to actually like seeing how businesses work and there's ways that businesses work on in on paper and then the reality is like, yeah, they're a hot mess. Yeah. Almost all businesses are a hot mess. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. And once you kind of understand that and you figure out how to navigate a different hot mess each day, it gets a little easier. Yeah. One of the things I wish I had done though is now I'm getting getting to the stage I'm like, maybe an MBA or a business degree would help me with the administrative side of running a business. That might have helped me scale and grow the company a bit quicker as well. Um I also had to make certain decisions about how quickly I scaled Wimbar because I had a baby when I was building the company. Yeah. I just didn't travel as much as probably it's what I would have done. Right. No, I didn't open office in, in Nigeria. Um, 
I wasn't willing to like leave my kids for like six weeks at a time to go on the road and do stuff like the most I've ever been away is like maybe 10 days right. and even that felt like quite a long time yeah. so I've had to make certain like quite intentional decisions but then I'm like well I wouldn't have not had a baby I'm kind of glad that I have my own business now I really enjoy it I push myself I, it's tiring I'm very tired but yeah. I genuinely do enjoy it I, I enjoy the process and I think that you know I have this huge um a huge admiration of other business owners now not just PR agencies but anyone you know if I meet someone or chat to them and they say they run their own business I'm like oh I wonder how they make money I wonder how they monetize I wonder how they do this like mm. I wonder if they ever sleep yeah um so I think generally I'm I'm pretty um I'm happy with how it's gone like there's always things that you could have done better but uh I think that I found um I think I found my tribe yeah um as I said and I think I found a, a niche uh do I think I'll do it forever probably not you know sometimes you've got to move on as well yeah but I think for now I'm, I'm pretty happy with how things have been turning out brilliant brilliant okay brilliant so coming on to my last just two questions so this one is about I find it kind of funny depending on the answers now what was the best and worst advice you've been given in your career now I'm trying to think of advice that I've been given that I've kind of been very receptive to okay yeah I think the best advice uh I guess basically it was Jason uh, that my boss at Arocco who kind of pushed me into setting up the business right that was you know that was the push factor that was an advice he's like you just got to do it you mm -hmm. just got to do it and he was like if you don't do it who else is going to do it like it has to be you it was very much I guess that that was like the best piece of advice because yeah, then it great opened the door and unlocked everything else yeah absolutely worst piece of advice I can't think of any Oh, well, that's good then. Like, you haven't been given Nothing really sticks. I was going to say, whatever it was, was you didn't stick in your mind. So that's fine. That's good. You know, here's one thing, but it was, it's more kind of like, I don't think this person was serious. So early days with Wimba, and I think a lot of PRs get this, when you're very small and you have a network of people and uh, people are always trying to get you to do stuff for free oh, yeah. because they think your time doesn't have any value. Any value. You know, mm -hmm. Like you yeah it's like we go home and like go and live in our stately home I know. <laughs> exactly so someone who was part of my wider network was once trying to get me to do some um some free PR to help him and I was trying to be very nice because in those days I was quite nice and sweet and tried to like couch things in like nicer terms and I was like yeah I'd love to but um you know we haven't really got capacity at the moment so I'm afraid we won't really won't be able to help and he was like, ah, so this is your problem. You need to hire more people so you can do that. And I was like, how am I going to hire more people? If you're not paying me. If you're not paying me. Like, you can't tell me to hire more people so I can do free work. Exactly. Like, that is business 101 or the uh -huh. opposite of that. But I don't even think it is advice because for me, it's not even serious. No, it's definitely not serious. Now, <laughs> I will just be, now I'll just be like, you know what? The fact that you're even speaking to me is cool, but... Like, I'm not doing anything for free. No, 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 no. Like, that's such a cheeky thing to do. It's just cheeky. So it was not like, work for me. I'm at capacity. Like, well, bring someone else in. Uh, you're asking to work for free. For free, sir. Okay, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. So I think now, so now I wouldn't even try and do anything nice saying we're at capacity. I'd be like, we can't work for free. Yeah, you just say it straight now. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I would just say it straight now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I'm way, I'm, I'm quite an abrupt, upfront quite kind of person. Um, and weirdly enough, I tend not to code switch myself. Like, okay. 
if you speak to me in, at work, I'm the same in terms of how I speak in like day to day life day-to-day as well. Life, yeah. So I'm very, you know, I, I I speak and engage in kind of quite a quite a blunt way. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm less likely. So probably a few years ago, I would have tried to be a bit nicer or code switch to be like more sweet and like oh I'd love to help but now I'm like nah yeah straight to the point now oh, you know it's all this this is seasoned you but you're seasoned in the industry now so you're like right enough enough <laughs> like it I like it it's right, <laughs> it a good word isn't it all right so my last question to you is uh do you have any rules that you've implemented along your career journey just to share with others in case they're thinking about how do I get to where she is or you know don't do too much work for free. I think yes. after that, you know, value your time. <laughs> yes. Value value your time is really important. Um, and you no, know, and I did at uni. I did work experience because I was building up a portfolio. Especially, you know, before you've had a job, you can't then expect people to just employ you into like quite. You know, you need work experience. Of so course. I think that there's ways and means of doing that. Yeah. And if you're an art student and you're only doing eight hours a week at uni, you do have time to do free work. Absolutely. Experience. Yeah. Um, but I think as you grow, is that I think um, just kind of actually what you said about like when you found your tribe, like just surround yourself by like a, a tribe of people. Uh, and basically my rule is that I, I surround myself with people who I want to win and who want me to win as well. Absolutely important. Absolutely love that. Oh, love that. And a nice way to end as well. Surround yourself with people that you want to win and they want you to win as well. Beautiful. Well done and well said. Thank you, Jessica. It has been lovely having oh, you, you on here. Now, if anyone wants to link in with you or to, you know, connect with you, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Wimbart Hope. I'm on LinkedIn, Jessica Hope Wimbart. Uh, yeah, those are the main ones. You'll find me. Brilliant. Great. Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your journey, your experiences with us. It has been lovely having you here. And I will be back soon with a new episode speaking to more wonderful people from the world of PR and comms. So stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in.